Literature professor Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor joins me to talk about novels, story, and Christian film. Welcome to the Ministry of Motion Pictures podcast, where only the foolhardy and headstrong dare to venture. For within these humble halls, you may find your heart stirred to join the ranks of a Christian film movement to storm the world with God-glorifying media. But be forewarned, this undertaking will lead you down a perilous road of hardship and scorn. And so, if you're committed to pursue this life of woe, brave soul, I now leave you to your resolute guide, writer and director, Todd Schaefer. I have a weak spot for books and articles written by Christians that address the value of good fiction and the role good storytelling can have in the Christian life. And as a Christian filmmaker, probably the same as you, I'm a fan of stories written from a Christian point of view. I want them to entertain me and challenge me, and I want to learn from them. About a year ago, I picked up a book written by Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor called On Reading Well, Finding the Good Life in Great Books. This book is a guide to great novels. Each chapter focuses on one novel, and Dr. Pryor gives us an entry point into that novel through the particular Christian moral virtue that is exercised by the characters in the story. Given that Christian films tend to be very message-driven, I was interested in learning at the feet of Dr. Pryor as she walks her readers through these great novels. How did these time-tested storytellers communicate moral and spiritual virtues so well? I believe filmmakers should be readers of good fiction, especially given that we don't have a very strong storytelling tradition in fiction or in Christian films. Christians have historically been a people of propositions, not stories. And so good authors of fiction have a great deal to teach Christian filmmakers. Even Quentin Tarantino believes this in the secular world of filmmaking. He's well known for having an encyclopedic knowledge of cinema. But whenever he credits his greatest storytelling influences, he credits novels. Tarantino's not only an avid cinephile, he's an avid reader. And that's one thing that sets him apart. So I invited Dr. Pryor to talk about stories and storytelling. She and I share some particular points of view about Christian films and Christian storytelling. And to be honest, I'm glad I'm not alone in my perspective. Now, you may not agree with us, but there is so much we as Christian storytellers and filmmakers can learn from good fiction. And isn't it wonderful that we're not all the same and we all have different tastes in story. Whatever we create, we want to create well. We want to be the best storytellers we can. Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor is Research Professor of English, Christianity, and Culture at Southeastern Theological Seminary. She's also a frequent writer for the Gospel Coalition and a speaker at Gospel Coalition conferences. This is Episode 56. Dr. Pryor, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for your generosity in giving us your time. Thank you so much for having me. A few years ago, I picked up your marvelous book on reading well, and um, I got stuck in the introduction. <laughs> there was so much there that I wanted to carefully digest and apply to my work as a screenwriter and filmmaker and to help Christian writers and filmmakers become better storytellers to make films that you know, last the test of time and that matter. I think, I think story is a place that we often struggle 
in the Christian film genre. But I think there's so much potential there that we haven't begun to tap. Um, and so I'm always on the lookout for um, books that help me br bridge the gap between story and meaning and getting us into good, strong theology that can, that can be a part of the story. That story has a, a unique way of being able to tell uh, versus other kinds of books or teaching. Um, and, you know, just to start from where I'm coming from, is that in the past few years, um, my thinking about the film genre has come to a place where I believe there's an Achilles heel in Christian film that's um, rooted in our fixation on the Hollywood blockbuster dogma, and then all the baggage of high concept pitches and plotting formulas and and the guidelines of the Hollywood story gurus who have books, all, you know, all kinds of books all over the place. And I think they're cutting the legs out from under us uh, because of our dependence upon them. Um, many Christian films have turned the Christian experience into a high concept pitch that's often as much fantasy as the Marvel Universe sometimes. And I think that's why we see so many Christian films center on miracles and prophecy and the supernatural and Christian triumphalism, because they fit those Hollywood story models. Um, rather than, you know, expressing what's really happening in the real dramas of everyday life in a, in a Christian's life that I think we need to, to get to. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that these films are necessarily bad, but what, what bothers me is that there's an absence of powerful stories that are relatable to a lot of Christians in the Christian faith um, that deal with the dramas of the mundane of the Christian life. And that's where I want to get us to uh, in terms of, you know, our discussions of stories to try to figure out why the, why the stories that you have selected in your book to analyze are more relatable to us and more, more accessible for teaching us truths and, and being a better tool than what we see in some Christian um, films. So as I said, for me, we're not only great, not great storytellers, I, I feel that we're not even choosing the right kinds of stories to tell. Um, and as I said, it, that's based upon some of our dependence on Hollywood story models. Uh, and I'm trying to rethink this, and I think we need to get back to the basics uh, so that we can learn from great literary stories like you've brought up from the past. And, and before we, we jump in, Quentin Tarantino is a good example because he has never read one of these divinely inspired storytelling books by the story gurus mm. he he attributes his revolutionary storytelling to watching films widely to to, mm. to use your term and to reading novels which surprised me when i learned that that's not something you'd expect from a director like him so um i think we there's a lot to learn there from him uh so for christian filmmakers to sort of level up our game and become respected and, and powerful in, in our genre. Uh, it's not necessarily gonna be done by, with bigger budgets and better production value, which is something that we've always, we always say or default to. I think it has to begin with story and the stories that we're trying to tell. And that's sort of where you come in to the discussion because your, your book is so poignant to that. Well, you've touched on a lot of things that are near and dear to me, so I didn't even know uh, walking into this conversation exactly where you were coming from and what you, points you'd want to hit, and we yeah. are going to hit a lot of them that are 
that I that I uh, dwell on. Good. Yes. Um, so, so many. In fact, I'm making a little list in my mind right here. But um, so I, I want to talk about story. I want to talk about form, and um, and I also and I want to talk about um, you know the, the this fantasy versus the mundane thing. Yeah. So, um, and, and so I'll, I'll I'll say up front um, that I do have a very strong bias, and anyone who knows a little about me or follows me on Twitter, this will come up. It's become kind of a joke, but I am not someone who likes fantasy really at all so and i'm i'm not saying it's wrong or it's necessarily bad i you know i i i don't you know i i think it's fine that people enjoy it but i'll just talk a a little bit about why i don't like it 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 Mm -hmm. hits i think on what what you're talking about um and it was really kind of a sudden conversion for me when i was 20 years old and i was a sophomore in college taking a world literature survey class and we read Madame Bovary by um, mm. Gustave Flaubert. Mm-hmm. Um, and Madame, I'll try not to give any spoilers, but Madame Bovary is a, a realist novel. Um, and Flaubert was really um, attacking romanticism, which is, you know, is fantasy fits into the broader umbrella of romanticism. And and he presents a, a character who's just sort of lost in bad novels, reads a lot of bad <laughs> novels, has her whole worldview distorted because she thinks life and marriage and 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 everyday um, the everyday mundane uh, is is bad because it's not like what she's read about in these exciting novels. And so, as you know, so it turns out all very tragically for her. Um, but what Flaubert is showing is that she has, by by trying to, by thinking and and striving for the fantastical, the exciting all the time, she misses out on the pleasures and joys of ordinary life in the mm. village. You know, the mm. mundane, mm-hmm. um, which is what our lives really are, and they are supposed to be, and they that is good. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I, I really loved that point that you hit on when you talked about kind of we're losing um, the joy of, of, mon- of the mundane, of yeah. everyday ordinary life. Now, that doesn't mean there's no place for adventure or fantasy or, right. or anything like that. But I think there's kind of a um, when the pendulum goes too far in one direction, you know, I yeah. have an impulse to correct it. And so I, you know, and I would say, you know, I'm not someone who really um, watches uh, Christian film or mm-hmm. the Hollywood blockbusters. Um, but I will say, you know, even the fascination with with Tolkien films, and I'm not talking about the novels, um, it seems to me comes from that same impulse yeah. that you're talking about, the big blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of the more those go on, I think the purists do say that, you know, the story gets a little bit corrupted. Um, but that's not yeah. an area I, I know much about. Um, and so and, and I, I'm not surprised to hear what you say about Quentin Tarantino. I didn't know that, but mm-hmm. his stories, his films are told in very literary yes. ways. Yep. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that he has spent a lot of time reading novels um, mm-hmm. and probably really good novels. Uh, <laughs> and so we could we could all benefit for that as I write about in Unreading Well. So those mm-hmm. are my initial comments and I'm happy to go in any further direction you want me to. Uh, let's Let's tackle them all. Well, the, the, the one point that I, you know, that I think is important to bring into this discussion early on when we're talking about both literature and film 
is the importance of form. Yes. Um, so when we're talking about the story, the story arc, the plot, mm -hmm. you know, we are talking about content. Um, and in some respects, the, the two can't form and content can't really be right. separated. Right. Um, but what makes a good novel or any work of literature good isn't just the content. It's not just mm -hmm. the story that it tells right. um, or the information it gives, but it's also how the story is told, right. how it uses the medium of words artistically mm -hmm. to recreate an experience. And that's really ultimately the difference between good literature and bad is that right. good literature uses the medium skillfully mm -hmm. and well. And when it comes to film, and I'm no film expert, I just I just know the few that I really like. Uh, I, I know, <laughs> well, I, there's, there are a lot that I like, but I, um, I just know also that film is a medium. And yeah. so good films use the medium well, and that means the story, but it also means the camera work and the music yes. and the script. Right. Um, and so all that attention needs to be paid to to all of those things. Yes, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's there's the content, which I think is troubling. And I, there's, you know, and to me, I feel like we, we can't really get too far into the form because the content isn't satisfactory for the form right so right. i have this this duality that that i'm playing with but you know i i agree that the form if we're not telling good stories to begin with we're probably not going to be right. knowing how to handle right. the form and that's that's right. true in in secular films as well because a lot of movies are just people uh following other people around with cameras and there's no sensitivity to composition to timing to right. editing and juxtaposition juxtaposition of images um so there's there's sort of a craft to cinema and i sort of distinguish movies from cinema because cinema tends to be more thoughtful mm. in terms of the the big picture both the visual and the auditory uh coming together as a work of art and i we've we're losing that I find with the speed at which we're mm. creating so much content mm. and um, it, it's, it's, it, it is a craft that has to be learned over time and experience mm. to be able to do that. And it's a very expensive craft, which, may, which <laughs> makes it even more difficult. So we're sort of at, the, at a disadvantage, which is why we have to watch films widely so that we're mm. looking, watching those, those directors who are doing it well, just so that we get a language a visual language and an and a experiential language for being able to recreate that. So um, yes, I totally agree that, that the form that you can't, you want those two to blend together because when they do, it is spectacular. Mm -hmm. It's spectacular, but it, it doesn't happen that often, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your book, you said that um, literature is an aesthetic experience. Could you unpack that just a little mm -hmm. bit? Sure. Um the way that we use the word aesthetic today um you know we generally think okay so aesthetic has to do with with the beauty in some mm. in some form but in, at a deeper level aesthetic and its foundational level aesthetic refers to sort of a bodily experience right a yeah. sensory experience mm -hmm. and so um beauty is 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 one of those but really an aesthetic experience is one that that affects us bodily, right? Mm -hmm. It either, you know, it, it makes our heart beat faster, it makes us, you know, catch our breath, or maybe makes us a tear come to our eye, um, or makes us sit forward in our seat, or you know, it, it really is something that is felt mm -hmm. in in a in a you know in the the most profound sense of the word. I don't mean like in a superficial way, and so 
of course, film does that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But so does a so does a good story. So does a good work of literature. Yes. Again, it's 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 the difference between you know if I give you a quick um, spark note summary of of a novel, it's just simply cannot have the same effect as yeah. the immersive experience of reading it in the way that the the words are artistically presented mm -hmm. before us. It's a unique quality to fiction literature and that kind of thing that gives us an ability to present truths and and like you say virtues uh in a way that you don't get from something that's more didactic and and non-fiction there's there's a big difference between what fiction can achieve and i think we often feel like fiction now ah, that's just entertainment there's no value in that but there is a tremendous value in in the form of fiction no, ex this point about didacticism is so important because um, this desire to give a lesson in a straightforward yeah. way in the way that we would a, a sermon or an op-ed essay. Now, mm -hmm. now I'm a didactic person. I'm a professor yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I also write, <laughs> I write opinion pieces. So I love nothing more than to tell people what to think, yeah. believe me. But art serves a different purpose. The purpose of art is to help us understand something. Mm -hmm. um, and so then from that, we might draw a lesson or see something else that comes along differently or understand someone else's experience better. That's what art's purpose is. And so when we try to tack on a lesson, which we know a lot of Christian films try to do in, a, in yeah. an overt way, give, give the lesson or the moral, um, but I would say even sort of the blockbusters do that as well, yeah. right? There's there's a yes. sense in which you have this universe of good and bad and and how things turn out. It's it's not very subtle necessarily. Yeah. Um, and so even if a, even if a moral lesson isn't one that comes from the Bible or or advances Christian faith, it can still be a moral lesson. It mm -hmm. might just be a different one. Yeah. Um, and so. I think we're asking art to do something it wasn't designed to do when we're mm -hmm. asking it to um, take the place of a sermon or an essay or, you know, a, a monologue. Uh, yeah, I often chuckle uh, when I hear criticisms of Christian films being too preachy because, you know, secular films are incredibly preachy, but they just can't see it because they embrace it and it's it, it, right. They accept right. it, but but you know, of course, Christian films sometimes are so preachy, and one knows that they just don't. They, they we call them cheesy, right? That's the right, word that, right. that is so used. You know, we we have to own that. But you're right to point out. I mean, the cheesiness doesn't belong to just Christians alone. This is a yeah. problem with with the, our culture yeah. that we want to be spoon fed moral mm -hmm. lessons, whether they're Christian ones or Hollywood ones, or mm -hmm. um, and so all of us could stand to move beyond that and learn yes. to appreciate the gifts of art that um, that are more subtle and filled with more grace. Yes, that's true. You brought up in your book uh, Aristotle's Poetics, you know, which is a standard for all of us, including screenwriters in film. And basically he says that, you know, works of fiction can have a noble goal. Uh, and that noble goal is to elevate virtue, which is, you know, tied to human purpose, like you said in your book. But you make a really good distinction in there that I, I found very helpful. Um, and this is sort of where I think all the Christian writers and filmmakers who say that Christians have the best stories to tell, uh, they need to pay attention here because 
the distinction is that the goal of the of the Christian is the glory of God. That's our purpose, the glory of God and our internal enjoyment in him. Um, but this purpose, like you said, doesn't always translate to our happiness or flourishing. Sometimes it can do just the opposite. Um, and I think that is such a powerful reality that Christian filmmakers can use uh, to make our films a little more, more uh, grounded in reality. And then you said that without this purpose, all we can do is reach for practical outcomes, which is something you call emotivism. Tell me a little bit about what emotivism is and what are its dangers. Yeah, there's there's a long um, history of that idea in moral philosophy and um, even uh, even in in sociology now. And so emotivism is just is um, measuring the worth or value or even the morality of something based on how it makes us feel. Now, I talked earlier about feeling and this is kind of the distinction I was trying to, to draw, like an aesthetic experience yeah. makes our body respond in a way um, that is felt. But what I'm talking about here is really um, more emotion and subjective emotion um, that we use to judge something by. Um, and so in that part of the book, I'm drawing on the work of Alistair McIntyre, um, who talks about how because we live in this sort of post-virtue culture and we don't have even, we don't even know what virtues are and we don't agree on virtues because we don't agree on telos or purposes or ends. We, mm -hmm. all we have to draw on is our own subjective emotions. And so we don't actually, we just judge something as good or bad or moral or immoral based on that rather than some transcendent or objective um, quality. And so this relates to, to art and, and film because we can often measure it the same way. And, and when, I'm, when I'm teaching this, I just draw sort of a stark distinction. Um, I'll ask my students to consider the difference between saying it is good mm -hmm. and I like it. One is objective, one is subjective. Um, entirely different approaches to something uh and so again when we when i talked about tolkien i I'm, I'm talking more about how i don't like fantasy i i don't i'm not necessarily saying it's not good um somewhere in between is there it, it might be possible to uh give a, a judgment of whether fantasy is is you know better for us or worse but at this point i'm just saying well you know i don't i don't like it and here's why yeah. uh because i don't you know because i don't think I can make that objective um, decision. There probably are things that are good in it that I don't see yet. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I, I think it's helpful for uh, us to consider, you know, what is the role of fantasy? And why are we so drawn towards it? Uh, why has it become so dominant mm -hmm. in our culture? And, that is you know, that is such an important question. It's not because you know it's not just fantasy and film and right. and books, but you know we've got cosplay and yep. Comic Con. People people really see, and I think there are some of the answers to this are found in in you know in, in Charles Taylor and similar thinkers yeah. who talk about us being in a in a disenchanted world. Mm -hmm. um, we're reaching out. We we want that enchantment again. And yeah. I you know like you, I think we can. I think this mundane ordinary everyday world is enchanted yes. um if we'll only see it yep 
yeah, I think we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by not giving us those things to prepare us for things that we will deal with in light in life. You know, you said at the beginning of your book that you learned so much, you learned a lot spiritually just from reading books uh, that you would not have gotten in a church or you would not have gotten in um, a lived experience or something about what you can learn from another person who's writing uh, a work of fiction, who's got some wisdom uh, that we can draw from. And I think we're, we're sort of missing that. And, um, and the mundane is, it, it perplexes me why we don't see the drama in the mundane. Mm. And that, you know, in the history of, of film, there were like in the seventies, the early, the late sixties and seventies in the beginning of the eighties, um, there were very personal films. So Hollywood was producing a lot of films that were very personal to the filmmaker and they dealt with the mundane, they dealt with their experiences. And they, they got this from um, uh, the French New Wave because the French New Wave and the Italian neorealists were talking about the struggles that they had in everyday life. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, comes along Star Wars and mm -hmm. suddenly the Hollywood studio system is looking at, at wow, we can, we can sort of crystallize what the nuggets or the, the elements that made Star Wars mm -hmm. a success. What are those things? Oh yeah, it's Joseph Campbell. So how can we work those into... Um, <clears throat> a formula that predicts success. And so mm. that's sort of where all of the story effort uh, in terms of, of understanding story and teaching how to tell story to this, to the, to our current generation has come from. And so we, it's sort of, I guess in a sense, you could, you could say, and I haven't thought about this, but you could possibly say that our story formulas are anti personal stories. Mm. Uh, largely because they don't, they have to fit a high concept marketing strategy that isn't that, that was, we're, we're sort of losing the ability to tell those dramatic stories, to see the drama and the importance and the draw of, of dealing with the mundane. This is so interesting to me because I don't really know this history. This isn't my field, but what you're saying makes so much sense and is helping me to, to fit together uh, some parts of the puzzle for me, because I adore, as you know, from reading anything I've written, I adore the novel, right? That's yeah. my, that's my form. And the novel arose alongside the concept of the individual, right? Yeah. And novels, you know, as a genre, of course, there are lots of different subgenres, but the not and fantasy is a subgenre. Um, yeah. but the novel as it arose in the 18th and through the 19th centuries and, um, and then beyond, it really was about the individuals, about mm -hmm. humble, otherwise right. unimportant people like Philip Pirrup in Great Expectations or Maul Flanders, the prostitute in Daniel Defoe's early 18th century novel mm -hmm. or, or a plain, obscure, um, uh, poor girl named Jane Eyre. I mean, novels were about the personal stories and I, mm -hmm. and that that's how they've taught me so much yeah. they've helped me to see the drama in the mundane mm. but what i did not even know that this was the formula being used by hollywood but you're right it's about the big myths that are you know that are yeah. that are beyond uh the personal and that's probably that's must be why i don't like them <laughs> thanks, thanks for thanks for helping me understand that <laughs> well it's a sad thing it's a sad reality unfortunately but um yeah, I, I think they've they've not only changed the the writers and filmmakers' sense of drama, they've 
they've sort of blinded us to, um, mm -hmm. you know, those smaller things that are actually for now you do see glimmers of them. I don't want to write it all right, off right. with a big of paintbrush course. because there are some great filmmakers who've gone in there. And actually I, I have to confess, there are some filmmakers who have used some of these models and done works that I just thought were astounding and that they were really grounded. So mm -hmm. uh, there's something about the filmmaker itself that either they, reject those models or they learn what they can from them because there is some good information in them but they're able to jump out of that and apply it uh in a way where they can maintain that personal uh human very human element um that you know we don't otherwise get but um i think overall our our media has sort of conditioned us away from um, the drama of everyday life. And um, that's that to me, that's a sad thing. And I think Christian filmmakers of all the genres of all the filmmakers should be the ones bringing us back uh, to that so that we're not, we're not slipping into fantasy. We're, we're bringing people back to reality to question what needs to be questioned. And, you know, even this, you, if they go, when, when they go to too much fantasy, it becomes unbelievable. Right. You know, right. there's, there's no relatability there. And, um, uh, even when you're using the forms and that this is, you know, I, now that you've said what you said, the, I'm thinking that the form that Hollywood is reaching for independent of the content, if you bring in personal content and sort of jam it into the form that Hollywood has built around blockbuster, I wonder if that is also hmm. crippling the, hmm. the power of stories in, hmm. in, in Hollywood. So well, you know, Aristotle might be of some help here too. We we talked about him earlier, but it's so interesting that um, in his poetics, you know, he gives the six um, elements of of tragedy. He talks about mm -hmm. primarily, um, and he says the most important one is action. It all begins with action, and then yeah. character. But he, of the six, he says the least important is spectacle. Yes. Now, of course, in ancient <laughs> drama, you know, the spectacle, the, right, the spectacle he's talking about is very different from our spectacle, but the point still holds. I think that he, you know, the spectacle, that's what we love today. That's what sells the films. Mm -hmm. But Aristotle says that is the least important to the story um, and to the art. And we, you know, we need that wisdom from him. That is that is a great point. It's, it's we we flipped Aristotle on his head. Yes, yes. He's, I'm sure he's rolling over in his grave right now. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Hollywood the studio storytellers the gurus say you know that who's your character? They need to have a wound, and they have all these words for what the things that they need in order to to make a, a good film and. You know, when I when I look at it, like you, you need to do a little bit more work than just fill in the blanks and mm -hmm. um, to get your character. And I think there there another thing that I've recognized is that there is a such a, a, a focus on structure. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of writers just work from the plot and the structure and they paste the character on and whatever. And there, there's a balance between writing for structure because structure is important i'm not saying it's not important it's very important um, but they lose that ability to for the writer to lose themselves and become human and express mm -hmm. themselves without critically thinking about okay is this fitting the structure am i hitting the points and the beats that this book tells me i have to hit 
Um, so I, whenever I write, I'm sort of going back and forth between structure, but I got to get in that place where I sort of lose myself and let the characters and mm. situation unfold a little more organically um, because structure isn't everything, right? It's part of the right, package. Right, and so, right. you know, sometimes stories are going to veer off and, you know, that when we watch films today, often we can predict what's going to happen. We, we sort of get a sense of what's going on because we've seen that same structure mm. and those same beats happen on 40 other films, you know? And so we may not recognize it, but our subconscious is going, oh, I kind of know mm. what's happening there. So, so when you said earlier on, you said, uh, spoiler, uh, warning about a spoiler, you're not going to do a spoiler. I was like, you know what? Most films are spoilers just because of the structure they use. So it doesn't. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and thinking about this, you know, as a Christian, of course, of course, we have the overarching mm -hmm. narrative creation, fall, redemption, and we can't escape that. And I think every good story will reflect that overall. But we are all, you know, God also is a God of the details. Yeah. He cares. He pays attention to every, he knows the numbers of the number of hairs on our heads yes. and the number of sands, uh, you know, on the beach and all of the, and he cares of, and knows about our lives. And so if, if the details of the personal get lost in the structure, then we're really yeah. not reflecting uh, the relationship that God has with us as human beings. And, and mm -hmm. that's a, a point that I think Christians should be more uh, equipped to pick up than anyone is to just sort of luxuriate mm. in the personal in a way that reminds us of how much God knows and cares about every detail of our own lives, even the mundane, but especially the mundane. Yes. Let's, let's sort of pick up on that, that we're you said uh, you, you quoted james james uh, james k smith uh he said we're narrative animals whose very orientation to the world fundamentally sh is shaped by story that our hearts traffic in stories yeah i mean i think there's just so much to reflect on that i mean even putting aside story and language the fact that we live our lives in linear time, right? You know, mm -hmm. we know God transcends time and eternity that we will spend with him transcends time. But right now we're in this in-between place where our lives are experienced minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day in a very linear process. And that's how stories work too. Even, even when they play um, with linear time, it's a reminder yeah. actually that we exist in time. And so then we add to that that linear experience of time, um, the fact that we are also made in the image of a God who is the word. And mm -hmm. so language and words are also part of our experience. Um, and so we, we interpret everything throughout our day in the terms of words like, oh, I, oh, you know, I forgot something or, oh, I can't wait until I get home and do this. I mean, we are telling ourselves stories all day long and then mm -hmm. at the end of the day we interpret what happened to us through the story that yes. we tell our loved ones about how our day went um and we dream and and set goals in terms of story and so our lives are so permeated with stories that it's like the air we breathe and we don't yeah. even necessarily recognize it until we draw our attention to it or some or something suffocates us yeah. then we know how powerful stories are yeah yeah, this larger story that we think that we belong to, how we narrate it, uh, helps us to uh, 
you know, think about what we do in our actions, the decisions we make, how we perceive the world. Um, and I, I find I found that a very powerful argument for for fiction. And uh, I'll make an observation, and and I'll and I would love your thoughts on it. <clears throat> Even when I look in the world of literature, um, I don't see a lot that comes from Christian uh, authors uh, in fiction that is very helpful. Uh, we have a few. If you go through history, you have a few giants like uh maybe flannery connor dostoyevsky tolstoy um but the, the, they seem to be more the rarity than than what's common and I, i've often wondered why why don't we see more of god's people throughout the centuries using the story form to uh, help us that is a big and important question, and it's actually one uh, when I teach courses um, related to this material. I, you know, we usually spend some time thinking about and talking about. I can't say that we have I have any definitive, simple answers, um, but I, but mm. but it is an important question because your observation is true, and I think part of it, you know, we can actually look at many of the art forms in human history, and we can see that during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and the early modern period, period, and not just art but science too. Yeah, it, you know, Christians led the way christians set the example they produced the masterpieces mm -hmm. um, but part of that is because christianity prevailed during that yeah. time and so as christianity has um become secularized mm -hmm. um and become part of the secular age you know i think our response has been you know one of you know there are many responses and one has been to diminish the role of art in favor of um you know, a sort of an enlightenment view of science. So you find a lot of uh, of Christian leaders who are in the area of apologetics and they want to explain science, how science confirms the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying that yeah. is where in the, you know, following the enlightenment, a lot of Christians have put their energy or in preaching the truth. And again, sharing the didactic form. Now, again, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not much of a creative writer. I love literature and art and I uh, immerse myself in it. But when I'm writing, I'm usually writing didactic things. So, you know, that that's just my gifting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's also how I've been formed in this culture. So I mm -hmm. think that we just, you know, through hundreds of years, Christians have found them, at least, you know, in, in Western and American Christianity, it's not necessarily, as your example of Nollywood showed, it's not necessarily true throughout the world, but mm -hmm. in Western Christendom, uh, in the modern age, we have we have found ourselves in a diminished with a diminished capacity to appreciate and create art. But I do think that part of what it means to be in, a, in you know, what some people call postmodern culture. I think part of that is that we are um, we are feeling the suffocation that I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, and there is recognition. And I'm seeing um, more Christian artists uh, come forward in in various realms, and mm -hmm. and and more writers, even in in Christian publishing, who are really working hard to produce good Christian writing that's not mm -hmm. just you know didactic. Yes. Yes. No, I agree. I see. I see a lot of effort growing, which is which is very encouraging. But there seems to be this: the the more we become a media saturated, media producing culture, mm. 
the smaller the Christian voice is becoming because we're not keeping up with mm -hmm. the appetites and demands. And we're, we are becoming such an incredibly entertainment-driven, fiction-driven, story-driven uh, culture. And that's, it's, it's even in business, you know, now they're talking about mm. businesses need to be telling stories mm. instead of, you know, giving them, you know, details and didactic lessons and, li and lists and, and whatever. Right. Um, the story, story is king in business. And once again, Christians are a little behind. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I, and it perplexes me. It perplexes me to the point where I wonder if God is choosing to keep us from that for some reason, uh, maybe as you know, he, maybe he doesn't feel like he's going to fit into it as well, or he feels, or he's bringing judgment upon us to let the, the secular narrative grow as sort of a judgment of our culture and, and what we're, I, I don't know. I'm just, mm -hmm. I, I just think about what could possibly be the reason. Is there a divine reason behind this? Um, or do we just not as a culture, a Christian culture, we don't value the artistic or the, the fictional or the use of the imagination uh, as a valuable tool. And therefore we don't support it we don't buy into it. We've, we're sort of afraid of it. Because if you look back to the history of cinema, um, we sort of had the cinema right at the beginning. Um, but then once it started getting secular, our response was not to create uh, competing voices that were bringing the Christian message. We turned to censorship. Mm -hmm. And some of that is good. I mean, I, I think there, there was a, a place for the censorship. But there wasn't the the there wasn't the necessary step to say you know what we're gonna get, we're gonna step in here we're gonna make our own Christian film studios and mm -hmm. make make sure we're controlling the content and mm -hmm. we just completely lost mm -hmm. um, the ability to do that because you lost the distribution channels you lost the cinemas you lost mm -hmm. the the technology the cost of technology and you just didn't have that income stream to be able to support getting into it late. Um, but that's changing today in a sense, because everything's becoming more democratized in, right. in film and we can, uh, you know, there's a place for us to step in and do something. And so it's like, we, we have another chance. We got another chance and uh, yes. I'm hoping to see something come. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I started this, this podcast was certain talk yeah. to people and see what's going on. And then, you know, as I'm finding out things like, come on, guys, let's, let's, mm. let's, let's move into this place that we can regain and, uh, you know, make content for, because content is coming all, even churches are turning to, to video content and stories mm. and that sort of thing. And well, I'm glad that you, you see that and that you are taking the opportunity because like, you know, it is another chance and we, mm. for the sake of, of, uh, the gospel, we ought to take yes. that opportunity. Yes. To me, it's the most present mission field because mm. it's everywhere and it yes. can trans it can transcend borders where the borders are blocking things as well. So the, the, the opportunities are there for us. And if we don't mm -hmm. see them and we don't take them, then it's on us. It's not on anything else because there's no more right. gatekeepers. Right. We don't right. need permission to do this. We right. just need we right. just need the support from inside the church, from from God's people getting behind movements or, or people or companies that are, that are doing this to, to help do that. And any other thoughts on uh, story and Christian film? I would just, that? you know, I, I think I would just 
echo um, Tarantino and say the best way to understand and absorb good stories is to spend time reading and seeing them. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, we could all benefit in many, many ways by spending time with good stories. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. Dr. Pryor, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been very, very enlightening and and my brain is throbbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned a great deal and you have me thinking too. So thank you for the opportunity. One question. Do you have another book coming out? I'm working on a book now, so it'll be out next year. And it's on, um, it's called, the ten, working title is The Evangelical Imagination. Um, but what I'm, yes, but what I'm really talking about is more the imaginary that Charles Taylor talks about and how we've been formed and shaped um, by stories, images, and yes. how that explains who we are as a people today. So, wow. So let me know when it's out, because I'm going to grab it and I'm going right. to invite you back for another discussion. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deal. <laughs> In the show notes of this episode, you can find links to Dr. Pryor's books, some articles, and some talks she's given on literature. If you plan to start reading good literature, I recommend you begin buying a new series of classics selected by Dr. Pryor and published by B&H Publishing. Dr. Pryor writes the introductions to these books to set the stage for the Christian reader. The series is called A Guide to Reading and Reflecting with the Classics. These are hardbound books that are beautifully printed. Currently, they've released Jane Eyre, Heart of Darkness, The Scarlet Letter, Frankenstein, Sense and Sensibility, and Tess of the Duberville. Our time together draws to a close, valiant filmmaker. We trust your heart has been warmed and your soul nourished. Your host has been Todd Schaefer, creative director of the faith-based independent production house Glorious Films and animation director at Tonic DNA, where he toils on productions for the major Hollywood establishment. If you wish to support the work of the ministry or simply buy your overworked host a fancy $5 coffee to keep him warm and caffeinated as he pecks out his next script, you can do so on our website at ministryofmotionpictures.org. Again, that's ministryofmotionpictures.org. And you can help spread the word by feeding the algorithms when you share, like, link, follow, subscribe or leave a nasty comment on our social media. Until we see you again, I adjure you, in the name of our Lord, go forth and boldly create film. What we do in life echoes in eternity. <laughs> <laughs>